0: Welcome to the Exponential Podcast, where we help you live the life of a multiplier. Our mission is to empower you to take your life, leadership, and impact to the next level. In each episode, we'll explore strategies and insights to help you multiply your influence and calling in the world for Jesus. Today's episode is from Exponential 2023's Global Conference in Orlando, where we brought together some of the world's top leaders and innovators to share their insights and expertise. To experience more conversations like this, be sure to check out our upcoming events at Exponential.org. Alright, it's good uh, to be here with you Uh, I'm glad that you guys are here We're uh, here talking about How to Disciple Minds with Good Theology And Bobby Harrington and I are going to be uh, Talking to you today A little bit about good theology And what that looks like Uh, We're here with Renew.org Which is An organization that is encouraging uh, Good theology and good disciple making And so we're glad that you're uh, Able to be a part of this today Well we hope that you will Uh, get out of this is some practical tips of how to teach theology uh, to those uh, that you're working with. And so that's really encouraging to us. And so Bobby is going to talk to you a little bit about uh, biblical worldview and uh, what that looks like to have a biblical worldview. And uh, then I'm going to teach you just a model and uh, talk to you a little bit about a model for uh, how to uh, have a simple, effective, and reproducible way to teach good theology to those that you're discipling. And I'm going to do like, uh, there's going to be like fingers with this that will help you remember. Because so many times when we're teaching people, uh, we need a good mnemonic device to teach people. And theology is like this really scary topic. And so what I hope that you will leave with today is like a fairly good and easily reproducible model for how to teach uh, good theology. uh, Because uh, disciple making begins with a foundation of good theology. And then we also want to have good disciple making making methods and models that we can easily reproduce and so that's what we're going to be talking about today and so uh, we'll begin uh, with uh, Bobby Harrington and him talking some then about the biblical
1: uh, worldview. Carl you're awesome yeah thank you (laughs) I was uh, stuck in traffic so uh, uh, I just made it on time good to see everybody Um, I want to ask you a question as we begin. Uh, Who practices theology? Like, uh, I'm not asking about you, but uh, help me to understand who are theologians. Anybody have any idea? Who's who's a theologian? This is a trick question. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody is a theologian, right? Because uh, everybody has an understanding of God and a systematic understanding of God. Is that not true? I mean, we all do. From the person who... Uh, like my uh, six-year-old grandson. He's a theologian. If you ask him about God, he's got beliefs about God. Well, that works all the way to some of us who are older who have uh, worked at it for a while. And here's the truth. Everybody who is a follower of Jesus or who's not a follower of Jesus is a theologian. And so the question then becomes, how do we help people to have good theology? How many people would say, hey, uh, I'd sooner get it right about the Bible than wrong. Just, Just, okay. So we want to get it right about the Bible, which means that we want to have some good theology or thoughts about it. Well, I'd like to walk you through... Why that's so important that we attend to this? Like, <clears throat> I grew up... My father's a truck driver. My father uh, had a fifth grade education and uh, <clears throat> and was successful as a truck driver with a trucking company. So I grew up with that. And uh, my dad always disparaged too much education. Now, the reason he did is because he had too much experience in life, and here's his expression, uh, about all these people with a degree in each hand and nothing between the ears, uh, meaning that it was all academic, it wasn't practical. So I get that. Uh, and I know in a lot of places, you know, people drone on, you have preachers who drone on about these irrelevant ideas and concepts and, you know, and what can happen in churches, people just want to look smart, as though being smart is somehow godly. And uh, that's not true. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 makes it really clear that knowledge puffs up. So we're not, we're not talking about that. But at the same time, there is a knowledge of God necessary to live the kind of life God wants us to live. And when we, uh, train people to have the correct knowledge of God, it will actually help them to have the best life walking with God. I hope you, I hope you believe that and agree with that. So let me get, begin with a word of prayer and, and Carl and I are going to walk you through what we hope will be a super helpful paradigm. Uh, Renew.org, uh, that I have the privilege of leading is uh, leading these tracks and it's because we think we live in a time where what churches and people believe is under assault, and we've got to rebuild those foundations. So let's pray. God, I just pray that everybody who can hear my voice is uh, richly blessed today. And God, I pray that we would uh, realize everybody is a theologian. Everybody actually has beliefs about the Bible. <clears throat> and I pray and ask that you would help us who are church leaders or people who care about the church or people involved in church planting. Help us, God, to uh, really encourage and do all that we can to establish people in the right way of thinking that we might have the right way of living. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to get some slides here. Hopefully my slides are working. Yeah, whoa. Well, let's start with Dallas Willard's... Uh, Definition of a worldview. So if everybody is a theologian, here's something else that's true. Everybody has a worldview. Uh, a worldview is how you understand life. The view you have of life, What, like what's it all about? <clears throat> a Christian point of view begins at creation. In fact, the key parts of the Christian understanding of the world go back to where, where did we come from? Well, we were made by God. Well, uh, what were we made like? Well, we were made good, but something happened, and now we have a sin nature, and life isn't the way God intends it, but God is trying to redeem it, and He sent Jesus to redeem it and rescue human life, and He invites us into His kingdom. And when we're in His kingdom, we find the, the keys to understanding life, and we know that life is being lived out for some typically 75, 80 years uh, and then human, human history itself is being lived out until Jesus comes back, and there's a final climactic conflict, and uh, uh, the way of Jesus wins out over all other ways. Well, that's a worldview. So Dallas Willard describes it this way: What counts as knowledge of reality? Like, how do you know what's really true? How do you know that? Uh, who's really well off? In other words, if reality is a certain way, who's doing a really good job of living life in light of reality? I would argue that the uh, knowledge of reality found in the person of Jesus is the most important reality that there is. If we if we think of it like how worldview is glasses, <coughs> excuse me. If you put on gla- if you putting on glasses is like putting on a worldview. I can see things with these glasses, that I couldn't see without it. Well, for me, and I would argue for everybody who's a disciple of Jesus, Jesus Himself is the key to giving us knowledge of reality. He was literally the most brilliant human being to ever live. And uh, the book of Colossians says that in Jesus dwells all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so... Jesus is the key to knowing life and reality. And who's really well off according to Jesus? It's the humble person. It's the person who surrenders to His kingship and lives in His kingdom and lives every day for those things. And who is a really good person? Well, again, Dallas Willard is describing this for the simple everyday person. Like, how do you know how to live life? Uh, Who's really well off? Who's a good person? Uh, Human beings want to be a good person, and a good person is the person who knows that they are a sinful person separated from God, but that thanks be to God for Jesus who makes us right with God and shows us how to live our lives. So thank you for that, Dallas Willard. That helps me to understand. Stay with me on this, folks, because this is so important. Here's a definition for you. A biblical worldview is a view of the world which seeks to answer life's biggest questions from the teachings of the Bible. A a biblical worldview is in contradistinction to a secular worldview or a progressive worldview where we try to answer life's biggest questions through human philosophy, through what people say, through what our culture says. Okay? So we want to have a biblical worldview as an understanding of these things. Now, what does it look like not to have a biblical worldview? Anybody want to jump in here? What does it look like not to have a biblical worldview? Somebody has their hand up. Yes. Okay, to come from a foundation that's not rooted in the Bible or Christ. It's to think, <clears throat> you know, you could think that uh, my, my view of the world is formed primarily by my sexuality. How about by primarily by my skin color? Okay? Uh, some other ideas. Uh, this is so important, you all. Once, once we get this, we're gonna see why it's so important that we help, uh, disciple people into these correct ways. We're gonna give you a key, uh, that's at the heart of a biblical worldview. Anybody have any other ideas? Okay, emotionalism. I feel Whatever I feel is right, that's right. And so I'm, gonna, I'm going to go with my feelings. Carl Truman wrote a book called uh, The Strange New World where he says that feelings uh, uh, are more... Feelings and narrative. My, my story about my life that I create and my feelings about it are more important than anything. Is it okay to talk about a biblical worldview? <laughs> let's, let's have that... <laughs> It, uh, one of the things that we have to get away from uh, in the church today and in disciple-making circles, you get, you're going to have two extremes. Some people act like everything's about Bible study, like we got to study, study, study. Of course, those guys are going to say, yeah, we got to talk about a biblical worldview. It's all about study, study, study. The other extreme is we don't want to get academic. We don't want to get into the, you know, we want to just love each other and support each other and pray and, and hang out together. And uh, which one's Right. Well, they're both right, but at the end of the day, uh, we have to have a biblical worldview to to honor God and to live life as He intends for us to live. All right? Um, Now, how do we disciple people into a biblical worldview? At the end of the day, what Jesus did, what Paul did, what church leaders do, is we are discipling... That is, we are helping them to understand and form their lives around the view of the world that Jesus teaches. So we're going to disciple people into a biblical worldview. When you say, well, how do we do that? Uh, Carl and I are going to talk more about it, uh, but it's going to be this process called intentional relational disciple making. Let me come back to that after talking to you about this passage. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. and 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I think he describes what ultimately he's, he's using language to describe spiritual warfare. And what he's saying is that our minds are a battlefield. Everybody that you're going to try to help come to Christ and to be a disciple of Christ... You've got to get to their mind. If you don't get to their mind, you don't get to them. And so the Apostle Paul describes this as spiritual warfare. There's actually spiritual forces, demons and angels uh, that are involved in how we think. So here's what he says. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So we don't use guns and, you know, we don't use tanks. Uh, On the contrary, he says, we have divine power. We don't have physical material weapons, but we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, you go, Paul, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is the way people think and their spiritual forces behind the way they think. Let me give you an example. You, you're a, a follower of Jesus, right? So so, so Scripture teaches that none of us would believe except that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of, of Jesus, opened our hearts. We, we allowed the Holy Spirit to it, but it opened our hearts so that we could believe these things and they're set in us. Does that sound good, everybody? Okay, so that's it's going to be... Uh, 1 John chapter two is going to teach that. John chapter uh, uh, chapter sixteen is going to teach that. Now watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter four verse four, the apostle Paul says, <clears throat> "People don't believe because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, and the God of this world there is Satan." He's literally saying Satan has a foothold in the way people think, and because Satan is blinding them, they can't hear it. Uh, The entire, if you carefully read through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll see that it's the Holy Spirit that opens people's eyes in the teaching of the Word, and when they say yes to the Holy Spirit, then they can believe. Let's go back to this text. Here's what he says Here's our job. In, in teaching scripture, our job is this we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. He says that's spiritual warfare. You want want to talk about how to engage in spiritual warfare? First, the whole world is wrapped in spiritual warfare. How are we going to engage in spiritual warfare? We're going to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So we want to help everybody that we know to think right, to think the way Jesus really is and what Jesus really teaches. We want to help everybody to get the thoughts right, realizing it's a spiritual battle. Where, where there's a battle to really think that way, but we, we want, with God's help and with scripture, to capture every thought, uh, in, in a human being so that they would be obedient to Christ. Is everybody doing okay so far? So this, this, I'll tell you what, if you ever go to a, uh, like, I'm, I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, okay? When I grew up, as a small, uh, kid going to school, in the, in the school systems, we would literally say the Lord's Prayer every day. Okay. Uh, in in the 1960s, a higher percentage of Canadians attended church in Canada than in the U.S. My hometown is no is so secular now uh, about all that stuff that uh, they think that you are a weirdo, a hater weirdo to follow Jesus, because their thoughts have been captured. Demonic forces have gotten a foothold and they don't believe anymore. And so when we go into places and we want to help people really follow Jesus, we've got to realize it's a battle of the mind and it's a spiritual battle of the mind. All right, let's keep going. So one of the things that Carl and I are going to do is we're going to uh, try to help you to see that you've uh, in discipling the minds of people, and this would be true of believers and non-believers, you've got to be really clear about what's essential for their eternal destiny and right standing with God. What's important, in other words, once they have the essentials, what are important things they will do to live it out? And then the third area is what are personal elements? Uh, because everything in the Bible is not of equal importance. And so we want to make sure that we understand and communicate uh, based on this uh, priority list. Can some people, before we dive into it here, can anybody? Uh, would you like to say what's essential, as best you can understand? Yeah. I mean, I would.
0: I would say your thoughts on
1: the of okay, okay, you would say <clears throat> uh, the inerrancy of scripture is one of the essentials. <coughs> Your thoughts about Scripture? Yeah, t- okay, okay. So let me ask, so I just want you to know, I believe, uh, I, I would use the word infallible. I believe Scripture is infallible. And I think it's really important. But is it possible to be saved and not believe that? I would say the answer is yes. We're, we're going to talk about that in a second. So I would put that in the important, it's really important. Uh, that, that you have that, but we have to admit people can be saved uh, and get right with God without understanding it. Now, the health of your Christianity is going to be really impacted by it, okay? Uh, yes, ma'am? Okay, that you would say the deity of Christ would be an essential? Okay, so like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed would get at that? Yes, ma'am? The resurrection of death in First Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says the whole thing hangs on that, right? Okay. What about a doctrine like whether you drink alcohol or not? Where would that fit? Okay, be personal. Paul defines it that way in uh, Romans chapter 14, right? If you eat, drink, or he says if you eat meat or drink wine, uh, he describes it in the disputable category. Okay. What about uh, whether women can be senior pastors who are churches? Where would that one go? You'd say personal. (laughs) Okay. Big understanding of men and women. And uh, a lot of passages in the New Testament about that. So, yeah, probably in that important element. So important elements, they don't determine your eternal destiny, but they may determine the health of your church and of your Christianity and of your faithfulness. Everybody getting it? Okay, so if this is true, we want to make sure that we begin with a foundation of the essential teachings. We're going to disciple minds. We want to start off with making sure that people get the most important things right to begin with. So I'm going to share uh, this paradigm, and then Carl, you're up right after this. Okay, so we developed this a few years ago to try to help uh, explain The process of growing as a disciple of Jesus. So the Bible teaches that uh, we come into this world, and you'll find this in Ephesians chapter 2, separated from God, spiritually dead. Every human being is in that category, (coughs) excuse me, in their natural selves. So Jesus himself said we have to be born again uh, in John chapter 3. So when we are born, uh, when we are born again, we begin as spiritual infants. If you want to look, uh, for example, the book of Hebrews is going to talk about how infants need milk. And he said, uh, you know, by this time, you should need more than milk. So we start off as infants, not knowing very much, and then we become spiritual children. And the thing about children, if you have children or you have grandchildren, you know, children tend to be self-focused. They're thinking about themselves. It's a natural state of development, but they tend to be self-focused, and children need to grow up to become adults. And you become up, uh, First John describes young men who are strong in the ways of the Lord, and they're young adults. But then you want to grow from that, and you want to become a father to others, a spiritual father to others, uh, or a spiritual mother. And so you become a disciple-maker. And then uh, when you really uh, want to become like Jesus, I would argue that the, you become like Jesus by becoming not just a disciple-maker, but where you have this vision. Uh, You have God's vision that humanity is lost and that Jesus came to rescue us. And Jesus didn't just make disciples, he made disciple-makers. The Apostle Paul didn't just make disciples, he made disciple-makers. Paul literally tells Timothy this. He, He describes four generations. He said... That, Timothy, which you have heard me say... This is Second Timothy 2, by the way. Second 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Timothy, that which you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, take those things, Timothy, as I invested in you and you heard me teach these things to other people. He says, take those things and give those to reliable people so that those reliable people can teach others. So Paul to Timothy, to reliable people to others. That's four generations... Of disciples. And uh, the idea is that the more we become like Jesus, the more we'll do what Jesus did, which is make disciples and disciple makers because we are so captured by the heart of God. So I'm going to ask Carl Williams, Williamson to come up and talk to us about this essential theology and discipling people's minds into it.
0: Yeah, thanks, Bobby. This is really great. Uh, the next slide up here actually has that uh, Timothy passage there. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who also be qualified to teach others. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happen to me. You know about these things. Paul clearly wanted to teach uh, good theology. As he was going about starting churches, he wanted good theology, and so he's even teaching Timothy. He's saying, hey, look, uh, Timothy, here's the things you heard from me, then you teach that to others, and then uh, reliable people, and then they teach it to others. And so this is several generations out. And So we want to do that, and so if we're going to do that, we have to make it simple. And so let me say that I'm, I'm trying to live this out myself, and I, I really want to impress upon you that if, if you're going to be a disciple maker, you yourself have to be a disciple maker. Right, you have to have intentional relationships with individuals that you are helping become more like Jesus, that you have in, you have the plan that they will help people become more like Jesus. I grew up in the mission field in, in Sweden. My parents were missionaries there. I remember standing on the street, and we would hand out tracts back in those days in the 1980s, and just as a little kid, I would hand out tracts to people and share the gospel with them, and my dad was really good at doing Bible studies, and I think it's a great thing that he knew how to do Bible studies, and he actually taught me, uh, who's teaching other people, and so he's done a really good job with his family. He taught me to write in the back of my Bible the verses that he went over with people, and then uh, I wrote it in the back of my Bible, and then I'm, I go ahead and I teach others. But sometimes this one-on-one mentoring that occurred with my dad and I doesn't lead to replication uh, because we're not planning our replication. Now, because I'm his son, he was planning on replicating. I mean, he had me as his son, and so I am a, a, a direct descendant of my dad. Uh, but we actually have to plan to do this. So so to understand... Uh, Disciple making. We have to plan to be disciple makers who plan to make disciple makers. Okay? That's a plan we have. Multiplication is part of this. And it's important then to think about, uh, good theology. Good theology on on one hand, and then good uh, modeling, good living on the other hand, equals uh, healthy discipleship. And so I think about this passage from Ephesians 4. This is another passage from Paul. And he says uh, these things, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Don't miss that first part. He says, I want you to be able to walk in a manner worthy worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's writing to Christians. So he's, he's writing to us and he's saying, I want you to be able to walk in a, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so you need to make sure that you have humility and gentleness and patience. These are all characteristics of strong disciple makers. right? You're you're humble, uh, you're gentle, you're patient, you bear with one another, you're, you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes into a list, and I've changed the order of the list here okay, to illustrate uh, a, a healthy theology. But he goes into seven ones that he describes here. I've changed the order to make it easier to remember. okay. And I'm going to show you that here in just a second. Uh, but he then goes on to say there's one Lord, one God, one faith, one body, one baptism, one Spirit... One hope. He talks about all of these ones. It seems like Paul is uh, helping the church remember and have a good theology. Okay, so I want this to be practical to you. I have a, a guy that I'm working with right now. Actually, I have a group of, of four of us. Okay, so it's me and this guy, Chris. Uh, and uh, he is uh, he's, he's a struggling, uh, recovering drug addict. Actually, he has a tattoo on his stomach. And he's, he's told me I can share his testimony and story with you. And he has the tattoo on his stomach of his name. But because he was a little inebriated the, the night he got it, uh, he said, I want the H over the belly button because it would be weird otherwise. And so the guy just uh, misspelled his name, C-R-H-I-S. Okay, that's Chris. And uh, he's, he uh, has a, uh, a simple life, okay, a life where he's had some struggles. I mean, if you heard his background and what happened to him when he was just a little kid, you would recognize that, uh, man, he needs Jesus. But he doesn't look like uh, most of the church members at the local church where I go. But I know he needs Jesus. And so if I know he needs Jesus, I know he needs a good theology, but it needs to be fairly simple for Chris, not because he's a simple person, but because I want him to be able to learn good theology and reproduce good theology. I'll give you another example. I have two two daughters. They have a disciple-making group with two other teenagers. My daughters are 16 and 14, Zoe and Ellie, and they have uh, two other girls that they're working with. Now, the two girls that they're working with are uh, two girls that they were praying about, uh, and they were looking for somebody to invite to be a part of a disciple-making group they were a part of, and God put it on their heart to invite these two girls because they had stopped coming to church, even though their parents go to church. Do you have any teenagers like that at your churches? Okay, my girls recognized the need to spend time with girls who were stopping going to church. They invited them into a group. And I'll tell you, one of the girls' fathers talked to me the other day and he was like, thank you so much for your girls. My daughter asked for a Bible the other day. One that I could, they could write in the margins. And so I think about my daughters training to other teenagers. They need good theology, good living, good theology, but it needs to be simple and reproducible. Not because my daughters are simple and they're, they're not smart. It just needs to be easy and reproducible. And so a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Scott Adair came up with, uh, this approach that I'm gonna teach you that I believe is a, just a very simple approach. Okay? And it has hand motions, cause you know, when you were in kids class, you learned hand motions. And so this is a simple uh, theology that actually fits the Nicene Creed. It fits Ephesians 4, all these ones. And so here you go. Uh, I'm going to teach it to you. Uh, So put your thumbs up, okay? Uh, Number one, Jesus is Lord. Okay, when I say Jesus is Lord, that means he's king, he's Messiah. Jesus is Lord, okay? That's an important thing as we think about disciple-making. Okay, next we have our pointer finger. Uh, we don't just believe that Jesus is Lord. We actually believe there's one God. There's not three gods, okay? We believe that there is one God, and just like your finger has three parts to it, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, you see that? Your finger? Okay, so you're, you're pointing to God. He's the one God. Deuteronomy 6, okay? Uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one! Okay, so you got it. Okay, let's start back at the beginning. Okay, because this is how we remember. Jesus is Lord. Okay, there's one God. Okay, if Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, this God didn't need you. He already loved uh, in and of Himself. That's why He created you. Okay, He has love in Himself, and uh, He didn't need you, but He loves, and so He created you. Okay. Uh, the next part is uh, you actually put up a V for victory. Okay, and this is not the one faith that we know, uh, the the gospel message that Jesus came down into the world, that He was buried, and He was raised again. You knew that, right? Okay, that Jesus. Jesus. Jesus came to the world, uh, he died, he was buried, and he raised again. That's the one faith. We know that that's Jesus' story. Okay, so Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Okay, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus came into the world, he was buried, and he was raised again, right? That's that's what we've got so far. Okay, the next finger is actually my ring finger. If you're married, it's your ring finger. If you're using your left hand, and now the church has always taught this that uh, when you uh, become a member of God's, uh, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of something, a body, in which Jesus is head. And you are members of that body. Some of you are toe, some of you are finger. We're all different parts of the body, the church. And that's actually a part of good theology. You cannot have Jesus, who is head of something, and not be part of His body. You see how simple that is. So, uh, as we think about that, we are uh, uh, we are man, part of God's church. So, say it with me. All right, Jesus is Lord one god father son and holy spirit we believe in jesus coming into the world the death burial and resurrection of jesus that there's one body the church okay then we get to the the smallest finger okay the pinky finger here uh and uh, that pinky finger is smaller than all the others and it reminds me that i am weak and insignificant before a holy god Okay? And I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. Now, so often in Scripture, in the Gospels, uh, baptism has been uh, correlated with the forgiveness of sin. So I think of this uh, pinky finger as one baptism from the Ephesians 4 passage. Because remember, John's baptism was a baptism of forgiveness. And Jesus' baptism was a baptism of forgiveness of sins. And what's the and? the holy spirit right and so john's baptism was just for the remission of your sins but Jesus' baptism is for the forgiveness of sins and you receive the holy spirit so the next part is like a two parter okay the pinky finger is that you're weak and insignificant you're in sinner in need of god's grace and then now you have all five fingers okay and you receive the holy spirit okay you receive the holy spirit Okay, before I go to the seventh one, let's do it all together. Jesus is Lord. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus came into the world, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That makes us part of God's church, one body. And we are sinners in need of God's grace. We've received the Holy Spirit. And you and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Man, when I think about why uh, individuals who are apostles or disciples in the book of Acts were thrown into prison, they are thrown into prison because they're preaching about resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't spend enough time talking about the resurrection of the dead. So a good theology includes these seven items, okay, these seven items that we find right there in the Ephesians passage. And I'm going to go back to that passage. And you see them there. They're in a different order than Paul gives them. But one Lord, one God, one faith, one body, one baptism, one spirit, one hope. Okay? Hope of resurrection is is moving your hand up. But we receive the Holy Spirit and then we have the hope of resurrection. Okay? Okay? So those are all found right there. Now, if you're teaching at a university or in a seminary setting, then you might say, well, we actually talk about theology in different ways. And so sometimes it can be quite confusing. Uh, But if you look at these ones here, okay, one Lord, that's a Christology, a theology of Christ. One God, we would just say it's theology, a theology of God. One faith, Soteriology. uh, Salvation theology. As we think about theology of how we're saved, it's that story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. One body. The ecclesiology. As you think about the church and good theology there. One baptism. Man, as you think about uh, one baptism, you have... uh, You have anthropology, just like God forgiving us, and anthropology and humanity. And then uh, pneumatology, one spirit. And then eschatology, one hope. We have one hope. So these seven items I use in disciple-making with Chris. I say, hey, Chris, and we need to have a good theology as a follower of Jesus. Now, you're going to be a part of your own disciple-making group. And so it's important for us to have a good understanding of who God is. And so I don't use the words theology or soteriology or ecclesiology or any of those things, Christology. But I just say, hey, hey, do this with me. This is a good way that I teach people about God. And I start. Hey, Jesus is Lord. We believe that He's King of our life, and we're going to make Him King of our life. Everyone who makes Jesus Lord of their life, uh, man, they have a relationship with, with Him. But there's more to the story than just that. There's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that God came down in the world, that He was, He died on a cross. He was buried in a grave. And he raised again. Oh man, praise God. That makes you and I, Chris, part of the body of the Christ. Body of Christ. Now, that means that we're in. We're a part of his body. We're going to be a part of him in heaven and we're part of him in life right now. Thank you for listening to this Exponential podcast episode. Visit Exponential.org for more resources and join our community of like-minded leaders, pastors, and planters who believe in healthy multiplication.